He's like, I'm not leaving without my cello. And he's like, we're not getting your cello. Of course, they go back to get the cello. <laughs> Welcome to Gold, Diamonds, and Death, a James Bond podcast. I am your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I am a writer for all things out of the CinemaSense brand name and a co-host of the Behind the Sense podcast. Joining me each and every week for this endeavor, he's the co-founder of CinemaSense, co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia, and many didn't know this, but he asked all of his girlfriends, all of them, to refer to him as Brad Whitaker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, I forgot about that. I forgot completely about that. I do. I do, in fact. Um, I don't know that name that name just yeah it doesn't seem like it should be in a Bond movie does it (laughs) and he's also one of my good friends Mr. Chris Atkinson how are you sir hello doing all right doing all right uh and uh for those of you that don't know what Brad Whitaker means uh we are going to be talking about the living daylights this week and we will definitely be talking about Mr. Whitaker at some point uh but we're also going to be talking about a lot of things this is our uh this is our first bond with uh timothy dalton we're mm-hmm. we're out of the we're out of the roger moore era and uh and roger moore does not show back up like we don't have that'd be great though if every bond did that like we just got like a never say never again with mm-hmm. rob with like roger moore the next time yeah i would or like a thunderball remake i guess that would have been they really should have done that yeah like- <laughs> yeah should have just done it for every bond like that retired they didn't do that every you know? bond that retired gets a never say never again we could have had man rudy harlan rudy harlan directed that movie we interviewed him for with pierce brosnan they could have just done a thunderball remake with pierce brosnan mm-hmm. it would have it would have been awesome yeah anyways let we can now let's dig into this a little bit so we're gonna start off with our first segment we're gonna go behind the scenes in a segment we like to call eon flux this is a journey. I'm gonna make a movie! We have to go back, Kate. Wow, how did you know all that stuff? I did my research. I don't understand any of this. What the fuck is going on? We are gonna dig into the behind the scenes uh, of The Living Daylights. Uh, I did want to mention, I get some of my information just online and, and whatnot, but uh, there is a book I've been reading where I've gotten some of this information from. You should definitely check it out if you want to dig deeper into these films. It's called Nobody Does It Better. And it is by Mark A. Altman and Edward Gross. So, Living Daylights, it was, uh, the, it's the 15th entry in the official Bond series. Uh, it's the 17th film that we've, we're covering. Uh, the film premiered on June 29th, 1987 in the UK. It was released in the US on July 31st. And that's more like what the gaps are now. I, I know like some of the Craig films hmm. uh, came out a few weeks before because you'd see like reviews on Twitter and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the first time I can think of where it's been this. Well, actually, no, that's not true. Dr. No, I think, had the longest gap because Dr. No was released like at the end of 62. And we didn't get it till May of 63. Mm. So so anyways, released on July 31st, 1987, the U.S. Uh, opened up the same week as The Lost Boys. Actually. Oh. Yeah. Uh, 87 was a good year. Uh, it's it, 87. I don't know if it's like at the prestige of like 99 or anything like that. But like as far as like mainstream releases that were part of my childhood, a shit ton of them came out in 1987. Mm-hmm. It grossed 191.2 million worldwide, which is about 473 million uh, in today's dollars. Uh, 51 of that was in uh, U.S. and Canada. That'd be about 128 million. 
it grossed $11 million on its opening weekend in the U.S., made it the largest three-day opening for a Bond film. It, however, did not—it beat Octopussy was the previous one. Mm-hmm. But it did not beat the four-day opening of A View to a Kill. It finished 19th at the box office, which is the lowest, definitely. Uh, but that, that has a lot to do, too, with, like, there's just more— like we talked about in the last episode, there's just more big releases, right? Yeah. There's just a lot more, there's a lot more like, uh, you know, tent poles. Mm-hmm. Um, although 87 was the year that three men and a baby just dominated the box. Absolutely. Office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Directed by Leonard Nimoy of all people yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, uh, it finished 19th, uh, uh, Living Daylights did. Uh, it made a little less than broadcast news, which I'm actually kind of proud that broadcast news made that much money. Yeah. I didn't know it did. Uh, and a little more than Eddie Murphy Raw, which I also didn't know made that much money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a big deal. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. I, I did not get to see that in the theater. I think I had no, to I didn't either. or something. <laughs> uh, the, oh, I should mention that, though. This was my first Bond in the theater. Uh, Living Same Daylights. here. Okay. Oh, that's I think cool. it was. That makes sense, though. It was either this one or it was License to Kill. I can't remember yeah. which one it was. I think it was this one, though. The reason I remember it was this one was because this is one of... My dad didn't go to the movies that much. So this is one of the few movies I actually saw with my dad. Mm. So I think that's why I remember it so mm-hmm. well. But, uh, I, yeah, it's it was definitely the first one I saw in the theater. I had seen other Bond films before it, but I hadn't seen any in the theater. Yeah. And I think there's only one I haven't seen in the theater since. You've probably seen them all in the theater since, but... Because you were working um, in the theater for part of the time. I saw all the Brosnans in theater. Yeah, I did too. Quantum of Solace was the only one I didn't see in the theater. I saw all the Craigs. <clears throat> trying to, did I see no? I think I, no, I did see No Time to Die in theater. So yeah, I've seen them all since then. Yeah. You saw Spectre in theaters? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw all of them. Oh, oh, I didn't mean to give away my opinion to Spectre. Yeah, so. yeah. Although, I guess it could change. I could watch that in a few weeks and be like, that movie is badass. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. No, I don't you think never so know. either. Uh, <laughs> I already said Three Minute a Baby was number one that year, but you had Predator, Robocop, Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Stakeout, which I don't think that's a popular film, but I love that movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I know just a lot of interesting stuff like that. I uh, Lost Boys, I already mentioned, uh, that opened up the same weekend. That was interesting, too, because... Uh, Living Daylights finished first with eleven million. Lost Boys finished second with a little over five. So it was, it was, it was about like it was like Living Daylights grossed like twice as much money, and then at the box office, Living Daylights finished nineteenth and Lost Boys finished thirty eighth. So it was exactly yeah. nineteen spots down. I don't know. That was just kind of a fun. Yeah, uh, you also had what Fatal Attraction was a big one. Yeah, that, that was year. number two Beverly at the Hills. box office. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Good Morning Vietnam, those all went over $100 And Moonstruck, which I was so surprised that... Yeah, that was a really popular movie. The Untouchables. I watched Moonstruck for the first time, like... I mean, I watched it, like, maybe in the last, like, 10 years or something, because it's one of my wife's uh, favorite movies. And uh, it's Mm -hmm. really good. It's a really really nice movie. Nicolas Cage is really good in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But anyways, uh, yeah, that's... It is surprising, because just that movie would not make that kind of money now. So no. it's just, it's bizarre. But yeah, Fatal Attraction was like, that was like, uh, Fatal Attraction's interesting too, because I think that's like a, basically like an adult slasher film. And and then mm-hmm. those became really popular. Like, I guess people really consider them more like erotic thrillers. But there's a lot of like yeah. slasher film elements in those movies. So it's always kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. like all of a sudden, oh, so now you like slasher films because, you know, Michael Douglas is in them or something. <laughs> 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. All right. I'll go ahead. Let's do the cast because we're definitely need to talk about Timothy Dalton. So we'll go to the cast first. Uh, Timothy Dalton, this is his first time he's played him. However, as if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that he has been mentioned several times as possibly being in as early as uh, I think Diamonds Are Forever, somewhere around there. It was it was around when Connery was leaving, like it in the 70s. Definitely. Yeah. And definitely, definitely on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, he was considered yeah, for that. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, he was considered again a couple of times with Roger Moore. They weren't sure if Roger Moore was going to come back. I also found out it was interesting. We talked about last week how Roger Moore decided to retire. I did read something when I was reading about this one, though, that Broccoli has always said he let Roger Moore go. Uh, so I, I don't know why it matters, but I just thought that was interesting. You know what? I don't. I don't know if I believe any of these stories anymore. Like the, you know, it's like I'm so like. It, it, you, you know, when you go through the behind the scenes uh, of something, you'll see you'll see something where it's like they considered this person yeah. or whatever, and then it got turned down or whatever. Like one of like there's yes. been a variety of Americans over the years that have been have been uh, considered, and by the end of it, it was always like, well, he was turned down because he was American. But then there's like reports that they for this movie tried to get Christopher Reeve in uh, for 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 Bond. I didn't even read that. Yeah, and uh, and 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 <laughs> like crazy. they like the yeah, and 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 I look at see it's in the IMDb though it could be anybody who said that yeah. like they could have you know it could have been. So I don't know, like, you know, they, they always say that, well, they consider this person and they really wanted this person. And it always comes down to the fact that they're not British most of the time when he, they get turned down. Sam Neill tried out for this one and it looks, he looks really good in the part too. I saw the clip of him trying out. He's Australian, and, uh, right? Or New Zealand? He's New or Zealand. New Zealand. There were quite um, a few from that area that were mentioned. It was like, yeah, they were, and apparently like they were... everybody loved him except Broccoli. And so Broccoli, I think, was just basically in love with getting Timothy Dalton the role, but um, or well, or Brosnan. Um, yeah, Brosnan for sure. Yeah, uh, but um, but yeah, Sam Neill. I also read somewhere where Sam Neill said he didn't want to do it anyways, which I don't know that I believe that. I think that's yeah, more I mean, just like not a polite at that, way. That point in his career, I mean, he would have <laughs> taken Bond. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. I did have Sam Neill, but there were a few Australian guys, Brian Brown, uh, who I don't. I know mostly from the FX movies. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe some people remember him as the crazy guy in Along Came Polly that Ben Stiller is trying to get yeah. like insurance for. He's like the base diver guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. He's been in a bunch of stuff. I mean, he's been. Yeah. But he was one of the ones that was mentioned. Uh, Andrew Clark is also an Australian actor. He was mostly known from television. Uh, Finley Light was an Australian model who is mostly known for being considered for James Bond films. Uh, mm -hmm. And so all those, Mel Gibson apparently was never really considered, but some, I think MGM mentioned him, said, you know, this guy's, which he did lead the weapon that year. So clearly Mel Gibson was about to be huge, but uh, Broccoli just said no, which yeah. now, now that's awesome that he said no. But yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> um, I, and I can't, I cannot I just can't picture Mel Gibson doing that either. Like it just doesn't make well, any and, sense to and me. And yet, well, and me either. And and that's another <laughs> one too, where it was like, well, he's not British, so we're not gonna not gonna go with him. Exactly. So it's like, okay, I don't, like who's in charge of all this? Is it's like if know. Broccoli has the final say, then why does he even bother with some of these not British people? I know. You know? Well, and there was another one. This uh, this American actor that was mostly known for being on Dynasty, Michael Nader. 
I I just I saw him mentioned. I like some of these weren't like saying they actually did auditions. It was just people that were like in the mix. Yeah. So who knows? Christopher Lambert was another one I came across. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lambert Wilson, who's in Matrix Reloaded. So a bunch of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, Sam Neill was like, it was like, it was like, they make it seem like it was between Neil Dalton and Brosnan. Like those mm. were the three that actually like auditioned. Yeah. Uh, properly. Uh, so, uh, Brosnan gets the role. Like he yep. is the one that they go with. I also, I, I, I misunderstood this whole story though, because I always thought he couldn't get out of his contract. So what it is, is Remington still canceled. It was canceled, but there was like a 60 day period where, they, I guess it's in the contract. There's like 60 days after they decide to cancel the series where they can option you back, basically. Mm-hmm. It sounds like an MLB kind of thing, <laughs> like a yeah. baseball kind of thing. So once he got announced that he was the front runner for Bond, all of a sudden, like interest in Remington Steel went like sky high. Like everybody's mm-hmm. like, you know, talking about Remington Steel. So then NBC, with like three days left in that 60 days, is mm-hmm. like, we're going to do another season. Yeah. Um, but he still could have been Bond, and they wanted him to be Bond. But Broccoli, once he—and this is why I question that Michael Nader thing who was on Dynasty. Because Broccoli said that he did not want an actor that was currently on a television series to play Bond. Because yeah. he—at that—and and, that's—it's—for people that have grown up, like, in the 2000s and ahead, it's it's— especially in the 80s, like, television and film were two very different things. Mm-hmm. Like, it was— and it was really hard. Like, like the the people that would go from television to film and actually succeed were so rare. I mean, like Michael J. Fox did, obviously, and there there were a few others. But I mean, it just it they de- these people just weren't like they weren't they weren't hiring Alan Thick to be in feature films. You know, he mm-hmm. was a TV guy. David Hasselhoff yeah. was a TV guy. That kind of thing. Uh, it was a very different scenario than it is now, where you have movie stars playing. You know, wanting to be on TV. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I always thought he couldn't get out of his contract. I thought it was an Indiana Jones thing, but uh, apparently they wanted him to do both, and Broccoli just said, "No, I'm not doing that." Well, so he and he let him so, go. It's so weird the it way is. this came down because it doesn't sound like was it NBC that was the yeah, network it was. or Remington? It doesn't sound like they really wanted to renew Remington Steel at all. No, they didn't. And yeah. and it wasn't until they had the power to prevent him from being James Bond that they decided that they were going to do it or maybe they thought they could ride that wave of him being Bond. That's what they were hoping. Bond. That's the and, way I read it. Okay. And, and then they go for 5 episodes after that. It's such yeah. a such a shitty thing for them to do. Uh, because I mean, you know, the, I mean, it's, it, 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 it screwed him out of that job at that time. And who knows, could have been forever if, if that, yeah. you, you never know, but, uh, he does or, eventually get it. Well, and not only that, but it hurts Dalton because mm-hmm. that, that was a, that was a storyline. And I, I even remember that storyline going on in the news and mm-hmm. I was young. I mean, I was like, like nine or 10 when they started, you know, casting and stuff. And I can remember that was on Entertainment Tonight and everything. Like, you know, Brosnan's Bond, now he's not. And uh, Timothy Dalton just kind of looked like, you know, the runner-up, basically. I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. how he was, like, kind of looked at. And, and I mean, I, I think there's other things about the films that are just... It was such a drastic change, and we'll talk about this in the review. Such a drastic change from Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. So you've got that. So people... Um, you know, we're having to work with a bit of, it's a, it's a bond. It's probably the darkest bond we've had. I would say mm-hmm. and some of the Connery films kind of go there, but like 
this definitely feels like a precursor to what Craig's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It's almost like they they kind of learn their lessons from these. And I, this has nothing to do with my opinion of these two movies, but it's kind of like they, they feel like they learned what people didn't like about these two movies. And they were able to kind of incorporate the positives and change some stuff up and then make it work with Craig. Also the era of film matters too, because in the eighties, we're not in this like dark broody, you yeah. know, superhero period, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, bond fit more that kind of bond just fit more in 2006 than he mm-hmm. did in 1987. So a lot of people think, and I, I kind of agree that this, this might've actually hurt Dalton a bit and uh, you know, but, yeah. which sucks, but uh, yeah, they only did five episodes. Until they claimed after bond after Brosnan got dropped, the, there was a lot less interest in watching Remington. So I don't think any of that's true. I don't know how they would even know that. Like, but yeah, yeah. so they only did five episodes, uh, uh, it also kind of reminded me, like, people complaining and all that kind of stuff. It reminded me of, like, an early version of this whole, like, Henry Cavill uh, not getting to come back as Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if we had Twitter at the time, yeah. people would be like, you know, bring back the Brosnan, <laughs> like, errors. I don't know. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And Brosnan, I like it, though, because Brosnan definitely would have been more like Roger Moore. Because the Brosnan films are more like the Roger Moore films. And so... I like that we get like different mm-hmm. bonds each time. You know, I I, that, I don't know. For me, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not for everybody. After Dalton accepted, though, uh, he didn't sign a contract right away. And uh, this other guy's name comes up, uh, Robert Bathurst. And I think he actually auditioned. He's most known, I think. I, I don't watch Downton Abbey, but that appears to be the thing that he's most known for. Um, so he, suppo- he says he auditioned for the role. But he feels that the only reason they auditioned him was because they needed a bargaining chip to get Dalton to finally firmly agree. Because Dalton had been, yeah. Dalton had had turned it down before, you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always felt yeah. he was too young or, or something, you know, because he was only 40 when he made 87, when they made this. So, you know, he was in his early 30s when they started offering. Or no, he was, well, he was like late 20s when well, they started offering. He was in his 20s when they, yeah. Well, he was yeah. he was twenty three or twenty four apparently when they offered him, and he said, "I'm too young to do this." And then, as it got further and further along, he just for whatever reason it was yeah. scheduling conflicts or whatever. Yeah, I he feel like do I, mean, it, I don't remember so. everything, but I feel like there was one where he did. It was something about like he was already signed to do something else, and he couldn't get out of it or something. It wasn't like a, I don't think it was a TV series. It was something though. There was something going on. No, well, and even for this, it was I mean, he had Brenda Starr going on at the time and yeah. and uh he uh, apparently that was like nearly a, a a deal breaker in itself. Yes. So Yeah, it was. Yeah. That would have been too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's so that's so we got Dalton on board and uh, we'll definitely talk a lot more about him when we talk about our opinions on the movie. Uh and he might come up again in this too. But uh the rest of the cast uh Miriam Diabo, who I always, in my head, I think it's Olivia, but there's no way Olivia Diabo would be old enough to play this. But uh, well, she, I don't know how different, actually, I could be wrong, because she was older in one years. She would have been, um, well, no, I guess not. She would have yeah. been 18, I believe, when this okay. came out. So probably I did not, not look up how old Miriam Diabo was, but I, she was in her 20s at least, if not. Yeah, Mar- Miriam Diabo yeah. was 26 okay. or 27, um, and Olivia Diabo, who is her cousin, I don't think yes, her sister cousins, or anything, yeah. um, Olivia Diabo was uh, 18, I believe, they at the time. They look alike, but like, though. They do look a lot alike. And I, 
And I think that's why I always think they're sisters in my head, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. not that cousins can't look alike, but I, right, you know, right. it, it just, that's, and honestly, if you put them to, if you put them side by side, I'd probably be like, okay, no, they're very different. Yeah. But yeah. There's, you're just there's some noticeable her, differences, but yeah, they have a, they have a lot of similarities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Miriam Diabo, she's in this, uh, she had also auditioned for the role and I might've even mentioned this last week. I don't remember for Pola Ivanova in a, yep. in a view to yep. a kill view after a kill. they, uh, yeah. After they couldn't get, uh, or they decided not to bring uh, Barbara Bach back. Which they also show in the uh, behind the scenes. They show her auditions for that and everything in there. And, she, and it's, uh, yeah, you can see why that they wanted to bring her back. So Olivia Diabo, for those that don't know what we're talking about, if you've ever seen The Wonder Years, she's the, yep. she's Kevin's older sister. That's the thing I most know her for. But and Miriam Diabo, <laughs> I'm sorry? Olivia Dabo is also in that movie <laughs> Greedy, if you ever saw that. Oh, uh, that's right. She also had a pretty memorable role in Law and Order Criminal Intent. She played like a serial killer or something. That of was course, always yeah. <laughs> that was but she was like on multiple episodes because she got under uh what's his name skin. Um mm. uh uh God, what's his name? Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Uh anyways, so Miriam Diabo, she I mean she hasn't done a ton. She was in I'm trying to think if there's anything else even worth mentioning. Not really. <laughs> Yeah, even on the known for on the IMDb is like, ah, your guess is as good as ours. A lot of TV, a lot of TV, a lot of direct video. Uh, She was Mm -hmm. in this horror movie. Her debut was in this horror movie that's really wild called Extro. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I recommend it, but it's it's different. So for one of the villains was going to be a KGB general. And so General Gogol eventually was going to be that character who we've seen in uh, a lot of the other uh, movies uh, played by um, oh go it was a uh, it was Gotel uh, Walter Gotel mm-hmm. uh, he played Gen- General Gogol in a few of these movies recently and uh, but he was really sick at the time mm-hmm. and so he couldn't be there for the I mean and John Reese Davis and is it John Reese is that right John Reese Davies John Reese Davies that's always get the Davis mm-hmm. I always want to say mm-hmm. Davis Davies he ends up playing um, uh, Leonid Pushkin. Uh, mm-hmm. General Pushkin, who's a new character they create, and he's not in the movie that much, so I'm guessing Gotel was not well off at that time. But uh, Gotel yeah. does get to show up for a cameo, kind of uh, mm-hmm. near near the end. But we've got John Reese Davies, we've got Joe Don Baker as the infamous Brad Whitaker. Brad uh, Whitaker, a guy who likes it, to do Civil War reenactments and stuff oh like God. that. Mm-hmm. Which which th- that reminded me like of a Columbo episode. <laughs> Mm-hmm. With uh, oh, what's his name? The prisoner. What's that guy's name? McGowan, Patrick. Oh, Patrick McGowan. Yeah, where he plays like, but actually, I might even be thinking of a different one. He plays a military guy in one, but there's one. I think maybe this is one of the later ones. There's one mm-hmm. with this military guy, and that's the big thing. Like they, they're giving him this birthday present. It's like a Civil War, uh, oh, yeah. like model thing. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what it reminded me of. But also, when I started thinking about it, like, Jodon Baker kind of feels like a Columbo villain in this movie. Yeah, he does. It's very <laughs> much so like weird. that. Very much like that. And but, and even the way he's confronted at the yeah. end is like Columbo in a way, too. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but I just, Brad Whitaker, just that name is just doesn't work. I don't know why, but it like that sounds like somebody's going to do my taxes. It doesn't. Mm. It doesn't mm. sound like somebody I should fear. And on top of that is Joe Don Baker, which he yeah. can be good. I mean, I'm not going to... Joe Don Baker's he, not terrible. Joe Don Baker <laughs> is one of these guys who fits a very specific type. Yes. And 
And so, yes, uh, in a way, he's the character actor, like almost Keanu Reeves, like in a way that uh, you have to put him in as this. He's always got to be like a gruff, kind of an asshole, kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. Like he shows up as the whammer and the natural, and uh, well, uh, he he comes back in the Bros and Bond films as a completely different character. Yeah, and and I mean he he made his name in Walking Tall, and I believe yes. it was Conrack was the other movie that he did Sounds in the seventies right. where he was a teacher um uh, so walking tall was his big claim to fame yeah. and then he sort of did like a lot of this character actor stuff where he's always like the sort of a kind of a southern redneck asshole kind of guy or whatever so uh that's what the, the seemed like the breadth of his work was from that point yeah and if anybody uh has not seen the mystery science theater 3000 episode of mitchell which is oh a, yeah which is a joe don baker it's a fantastic it's one of my mystery favorites science theater yeah i haven't seen all of the episodes or anything but that's definitely one that i've gone back to a few times uh mitchell <laughs> yeah um like looking at this i think conrack was something else conrack that was maybe john voight may oh i think you're right i think that is john yeah voight. it was john voight who anyway, you know same same guy that I mean, really, I mean, <laughs> Voight might be a little better actor, but like they do kind of fit the same mold. Like, and they're like, I like, I don't. I mean, I do know John Voight in real life is super conservative. I don't know that Joe Don Baker is, but he definitely kind of comes. I have like no that. idea. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but he is one of those guys you like look at. You're like, that looks like my like super conservative uncle that you know drinks a lot or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean that mean. Joe, I, I'm sure Joe Baker is the greatest person ever to live. But, he uh, is. He is. It's not his fault they named him Brad Whitaker. So that's very true. <laughs> but he's. But he, I don't know. We'll talk about the review. Uh, Art Malik is in this. Uh, who I don't know yep. that I had ever seen except for True Lies. I mean, I probably have. Yeah. And just didn't realize it. But he's the main villain in True Lies. He's not really a villain in this though. He's a. Uh, no. Uh, he's a like a rebellion leader or yeah whatever. he's yeah. the, the muhajadeen or whatever yes. uh, the mujahideen uh which is you know i think in the you know the 80s the united states sort of rallied around these guys because they were fighting the soviets and everything yeah. and and uh then like uh as time moved on uh that they i don't know if they this is me being ignorant of history, okay? I don't know if they turned into Al-Qaeda or if they they broke off into Al-Qaeda or whatever like that. Yeah, no, but, it's something uh, like that. I believe Osama bin Laden yeah. was a Mujahideen or whatever at one point, but it's fun. Fun? I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting to watch being friends with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with, the, the, with, the, with this group. Uh, uh, you know, in the movie. So anyway, this movie is interesting historically because of that, and the Cold War is over like two years after this. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's like it's bizarre. It's like it's almost like you know you watch it now and you're like, I, I think maybe that's the wrong villain. <laughs> like you know, but uh, yeah. But I like Art May. Like I think I think he's I think he's good. I should go back to the villains though. I did for I totally forgot to mention Jerome Crab. Uh, uh, who's in the. It, yeah, it's a Yarun Yarun Crabe, uh, I believe is how. I mean, it's it's yeah. a tough name. I don't I don't blame you. I had like I had to. I was looking up interviews, and and one of them it the it, one of them I just I could hear him. I think he says Yarun Crabe, but there's also in the behind the scenes. Thankfully, Patrick McNee is uh, <laughs> a, a game to say the say the name <laughs> as well, and I think that's how it is. Yarun Crabe. Nice. Uh, 
people who know him from The Fugitive. Yeah, he's tr- he, that's Dr. Charles like the Nichols. main thing I know him from. In this, he's General Yorgi mm. Koskov. Uh, Yorgi. Yeah. They always say Yorgi. Uh, mm. It, it, yeah. it kind of gave me that Jiminy feeling when I was watching First Man. Because I'm yeah, like, that's yeah, Georgie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, to, I mean, mm-hmm. it, to me, yeah. I mean, obviously it's not, but that's just how I would pronounce it. Uh, and then... There's so many fucking villains in this movie, by the way. Especially if you count Pushkin, which I guess you kind of have to because he is going to buy a bunch of guns. But uh, mm-hmm. there's a henchman named uh, Necros. Uh, I, I, it's the guy from Die. It's one of the henchmen from Die Hard. It's Andreas. Uh, it's Wisniewski. It's uh, it's uh, wasn't it his Carl's brother? Is that in the he plays? He's the one that gets sent down. With the shirt that says, I've got a machine gun now. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's that guy. He, he looks a tad bit different in this because yes. he's got glasses on and die hard. And he's he is also known for being uh, one of the villains yes. in Mission Impossible. I mean, one of the yeah, henchmen the kind of one, guys right? in Mission Impossible. So he's got... Yeah, the very yeah the very first Tom Cruise Mission Impossible. Um, and I think he shows up later in another installment in six, five or six. But... Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, um, he's got he they that guy's got a look. The um, you know the he's got a great it, uh, Andreas with Visnuski has a has a he's got an amazing look that's just you you remember yeah. instantly like oh I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff, even though you may not know his name. Uh, so we also we have back we had Desmond Llewellyn's back as Q, Robert Brown's back as M, Jeffrey Keen is the Minister of Defense. We already mentioned that Gotell comes back and makes a bit of a cameo. Uh, we also get Felix back because, you know, we always love, have to have Felix. But, uh, yeah, John Terry, who I always call Dr. Christian Shepard from Lost. Uh, that's the only other thing yep. I know him from. I, yep. He's been in quite a few things, but that's the main. Yeah, yeah, no, he's been in a Full lot. Full metal yeah. jacket. He's got a brief little moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get, I also get him confused with the dad in my so-called life sometimes. Oh, yeah, he does kind of look like they, that guy a little bit. Kind of. Once again, if you put them together, they wouldn't look anything alike. No. But in your head, you just see a certain type of person. Yeah. Like they, they both had that kind of receding hair going mm-hmm. at the same spot. And all that yeah. Kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, he shows up as Felix Leiter for just a little bit. Uh, and we have a new Money Penny, played by Caroline Bliss, uh, who really didn't do a ton outside of this. Uh, I think she's in uh, License to Kill as well. Yeah, though. she is. But uh, So she replaced Lois Maxwell, uh, which was sad to see her go, but... Things happen. Mm-hmm. People have to move on with their lives. I get it. Uh, let's see. So this film was shot at uh, Pinewood Studios along with this place called YZNC, uh, which is in Austria. There were also a few other areas in Austria they shot and in Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pre-title sequence was filmed at the Rock of Gibraltar. Yeah. Uh, which was a really fun uh, sequence. Uh, we also got the return of the Aston Martin. Uh, two different models were used. I did not list the models because they make I don't they have yeah. no <laughs> yep. they have no meaning to me. Right, there were two different models. I remember at the time it was a big deal because that's another thing I remember about seeing this in the theater because my dad's second wife at the time, my my stepmother at the time. Uh, she kept talking about that like it was like at the time I think it was like the most expensive car that was made. Mm. And, and that was like a that was like a big thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just have weird memories of that that being a big deal. But it was also like when you go back and watch the Connery Bonds and stuff like that. I guess I get it more. I'm just not a car guy. So, anyways, uh, that pre-title sequence, by the way, that I was talking about, uh, it involves this chase with this Land Rover and like Dalton's on top of it and all that stuff. 
What's crazy though is like they're that stretch of road is actually really long, but for whatever reason they only used like a little bit of it and they just kept changing the angles. Mm. So it just looked like they were going all but I was just like, why didn't you just use the whole road? Maybe they couldn't for some yeah, reason. But it's probably what it or was. Or maybe it would have been more dangerous. Danger dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous. Mm-hmm. I can't talk. Uh they did shoot the scene that when it actually goes in the water, that is at a place in the UK called Beachy Head. Yep. So Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was apparently uh uh Dalton just got done with Brenda Starr on Friday. Uh flew out to Gibraltar. Oh, so finished it on Saturday. Flew out to Gibraltar on Sunday and started filming this on Sunday. It's crazy. Yep. And just being thrown into that. Like that's your mm-hmm. scene. Like you could yep. even get like a warm up scene, like with him and Miriam Diablo or yeah. something, and just they, talking um, about bullshit. And they also did a thing where they put in two uh two other the two agents that get shot at the or killed at the beginning, um, are supposed to mimic Roger Moore and George Lazenby so that you will have an idea like you won't have an idea of who it is even though everybody knows who it is who double yeah i thought that was weird too because i remember thinking that like they're really trying to cover this up but it's like but we all know it's timothy dalton like i mean and even then we all knew it was timothy dalton it was Mm -hmm. all over yeah i I don't i don't i guess they feel like (laughs) they could hold out some hope that nobody knows before they watch the movie or they didn't see a trailer or they're all dicer i don't know (laughs) <laughs> or they just feel like <laughs> or they just feel like uh they feel like that sets it up better I, I i don't yeah i don't get it it's just kind of annoying it's just like like i don't want to see his feet just fucking show him yeah. it just doesn't make any sense yeah it's it's a really it's a really cool it's one of the it's one of the better pre-title sequences we've seen it is in it's a very while. good especially after a view to a kill mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing yeah, absolutely <laughs> They don't play the Beach Boys, guys. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's, it's cool whatever. to see like a, a training exercise turn actually deadly and there's like, you know, somebody who's not on the level and all of that. I'd forgotten that. about that yeah. when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten it was just a training exercise. Yeah. Because what a wild training exercise that yeah. is. Uh, <laughs> uh so yeah, uh, as far as in like directing and writing, nothing's changed. We've got John Glenn, he's back for his I guess this is his third this fourth, no, right? fourth 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 that's right mm-hmm. um and uh he'll be back for his final film uh next week uh richard Baybaum and michael g wilson wrote the script i don't think that's a surprise <laughs> nope <laughs> uh Maybaum said he really liked the short story they were basing it on but there just wasn't enough there to make it a two-hour movie so he said while it was one of the more difficult screenplays that he had to write for the series it was also maybe the most fun uh Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he also said originally the story was gonna uh, take place in China. They had even like uh, they had gone to China and like talked to the government, scouted. But at the end of the day, they just found it was gonna be uh, too expensive. Uh, Broccoli also wanted to film some stuff in Russia, and he went over there and met with their government. And when he said he wanted to film, they were cool. But then when he said it was James Bond, they were like, no. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So that's why we're going to like Austria and stuff like that because they mm-hmm. did say they did, and apparently he he claims that they started giving him other ideas for movies that he could do. <laughs> like they wanted him to like adapt these Russian stories and stuff, and he was like, he was of like, course. I'm good. <laughs> like I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just thought that yep. was funny. It's like, no, you can't do Bond, but we have this story mm-hmm. about a dog yeah, yeah. that we would, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
um, early drafts were a prequel more, or like some even were like a direct prequel to Dr. No. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was going to be a young James Bond fresh out of the day. Na- it sounds very similar to Casino Royale in some ways, although there was, and it also kind of reminds me of no time to die because there is another 007 because Bond is just out of the Navy and then Bond gets partnered up with this guy and then he dies and then Bond takes on the 007 mantle. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also kind of plays into the idea that like there's more than one James Bond. I don't know what this guy's name was, so I don't think it was James Bond, but who knows. But um yeah. that kind of plays in with that idea. But uh it also but it also uh what was I gonna say it sounds I don't know, it just it sounds like it's like an origin story basically. And I guess that's mm-hmm. why they eventually just decided against it. And plus when I guess Dalton wouldn't have been able to play the part because he would have been too old. So Yeah. So anyways, uh, oh no, I, the other agent was actually, I did re- write this down. He was named Burton Trevor, uh, which was a, which was a mm. mixture of, um, Richard Burton. And I don't remember who the Trevor was. Trevor Young, maybe I can't remember, but it was Richard Burton was the Burton part. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and then, like I said, some of the drafts even had to be a direct prequel to Dr. No. Did you have something else to say about that though? You were nodding when I mentioned it. No, no, no. I just, uh, this is something that I heard and that by the end of this movie, he was going to get his, um, his, um, mission for Dr. No. Yes. Uh, at the end of the movie, that was sort of the plan. Um, so yeah, but it's like, it was, well, where do you go from there? Because then do you just remake Doctor No? Like I don't, I don't even know how. Maybe maybe that's partly why they ended up not doing it. Cause... Yeah, no idea, no idea. Uh, but they eventually. It's interesting to see like the parallels to what eventually happens with Craig. Like there's a lot going on here. I think that's similar. Uh, even though that's mm-hmm. not really what Casino Royale is about. But at the beginning of Casino Royale, we kind of see how he gets his 007 credentials and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, but um. Alec Mills is the director of photography on this. He was actually really shocked to get the job because he hadn't done much. He was actually working on King Kong Lives, which was this really bad movie <laughs> from the 80s with Linda Hamilton. Uh, mm-hmm. He was shocked to get the job because he yeah, he had been working very long. But Alan Hume, who we've who's been the you know, the guy on quite a few before this, he uh he wasn't able to do it. So they so they hired Mills, uh Mills also said that John Glenn wanted it to look like the third man. Um, I, I don't know that it does, but that's what he said he wanted it to look like. I, I mean, it doesn't at all. Uh, <laughs> let's just go. Let's just let's just put that out there. The one thing, and you'll probably we're going to get to this anyway, but they do have a carnival scene in this movie True. that they shot the third man. They yeah. shot the actual third man at, and they shot it at the exact Ferris wheel and everything that the third man. John Glenn, one of his first, actually his first movie he ever worked on was mm-hmm. the third man. And there were several other people who have done Bond films who who started on that film as well. But yeah, if you ever watch The Third Man and Living Daylights back to back, let me know <laughs> and uh, tell me if you think that those movies look anything alike uh, in any way whatsoever. Which is it's weird. I actually started watch rewatching The Third Man. I didn't have any idea about this Living Daylights connection at all. Uh, I didn't, I haven't finished it, but like I started it up the other day, uh, just cause I wanted to see it again. And, and, and just from the first 15 minutes of the third man, I can tell you that the living daylight <laughs> has almost nothing to and, visually to do with that movie. And is that no touch of evil is the one, or is that the one with the Orson, like Orson Welles character, like the famous, like introduction, I can't remember. Is it touch of evil or is it third man? 
I think it's Third what, Man uh, where he kind of comes out of the what, shadows. What? I think it's Third Man, right? What what what's the what's the full? It's Orson what Welles. Are you he just kind of he's Harry something. Is that Third Man? Oh yeah, he he, he does come out of, in the Third Man, and and it, there's a it comes out of the shadows towards like about yeah yeah. yeah, yeah third yeah. Man is fucking great. I mean, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. So I recommend yeah. if you haven't seen it. Uh, Touch mm-hmm. of Evil's worth yeah. watching too. Touch of Evil is fucking great. Too. Yeah, Touch of Evil's is good too. Man, uh, yeah. So. Uh, they he also said it was a really hectic shoot because they were like and i don't know if them trying to get to china and then trying to get to russia set them back really far but they were basically like scouting locations and setting up stuff storyboarding stuff before they actually got permission they were so they were so mm. rushed okay so peter lamont is back as the production designer who's kind mm-hmm. of in the post um oh my god i just forgot his fucking name Ken, Ken Adams, the post Ken Adams, right? And he's he's like, I mean, he's been fine. I mean, there's been some really cool. Set. And there's a there's a really cool set on this movie with a with a with a with a plane. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Lamont claims that it was a really hectic shoot because they would they were storyboarding and setting up stuff before they even had permission. I I don't from like the governments and stuff like in Morocco and what in Vienna and what or in Austria and whatnot. And I think a lot of that had to probably do with they were kind of getting rushed because they had all these other things they were going to film at and then they couldn't. And then they just kept getting behind. Mm. And plus all these scripts had been written and it was just, they were, it got to a point where I don't know how they got all this done in two years. I got to be honest. Like when mm-hmm. you read about yeah. it, you're just like, I, I don't know what you guys were doing. Yeah. I didn't know how they did it either. Cause they didn't have a, they didn't have a bonds cast. They didn't have a script no. complete, but how in the world they do it. Yeah. But I, I think I've heard in the past that like when Dalton got signed on, like you said, I mean, he obviously he was doing Brenda Starr and he immediately came on set. But like, I don't even think he had been signed much before that. Like it had just been like maybe three weeks or something. And they did they did change some of the script when they when they signed him because they knew he wasn't going to be like Roger Moore. So they did have to kind yeah. of change things around. Um, But yeah, the Hercules plane is what it's called. And um yeah. Uh, that was like a huge problem, but they did a really good job. I, I had no idea. Like, it's hard to tell what's a set and what's not. Like, I went back mm-hmm. and watched it after I read all this. It's a really fascinating sequence. I think it is funny, though, once again, I, I love when people say things like, this is a more realistic Bond. Like, what is that? Like, because there is nothing like... <laughs> like I wouldn't call that realistic. I don't know. It means, it means it that there's not... It means that there's not like a villain in there with this weird like off the wall plan yeah. and like this strange layer that's impossible and all that. I think they try to talking about something that's yeah. more grounded in reality where you know and they're they're not talking about lasers killing, you know, millions of people and yeah. all that. It's more about oh, we're just going to like sell opium or we're going to sell guns or something like that. That's the, I think what they mean, but yeah, the um the plane sequence that you're talking about, they yeah, they uh, with the uh, I guess the ra- the Range Rover or whatever that's driving like that sheet that Miriam Dabo drives into it or uh, mm-hmm. the the Hercules plane or whatever like that. Apparently, you can't you know yeah you can't have the uh, the back of it open while it taxis or something like that. So mm-hmm. they couldn't have it they couldn't have it open. So they had to build this thing like a van. It was like a van, like a big van, like the biggest van that they could come find mm-hmm. or whatever that they could show this thing going up into. And it made it kind of look like it was in the plane. Even though if you were like a, an expert on Hercules planes, yeah. you'd know it wasn't the same thing, but like for us, we're watching it. We have no idea. 
No, we don't. And like I said, they built all those. They built all that interior stuff, like the cock. They yeah. redid the cockpit and the cargo bay, the exterior around the cargo mm-hmm. bay, and like. And then obviously they had the plane. Uh, they had a plane actually in the air, and they had a bunch of stuntmen doing like the you know all the fighting and stuff. And yeah. they, the cuts between those two things are seamless. Like it's mm-hmm. it's. it's I had no idea. Like, I mean, the, if you told me the, they were up in the air doing all that. I'd be like, sure, that's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, that stunt with them out on the, like, the, oh my the, God, on the, the bag. Netting? Yeah, the netting and everything. And they're yeah. like, so you have, like, apparently, like, okay, it, it's it's fun because they've had continuity with stunt people for a really long time on these movies. Action coordinators, all that. But, like, the stunt people, you keep seeing these same faces every time when they talk about a stunt. And yeah. This guy's hanging on for dear life. Like, I'm sure, he, you know, I don't think they talked about it this time, uh, them having the hidden parachutes or anything this time. But, like, yeah. they're hanging on to this thing. <laughs> and, like... Uh, apparently it's flapping in the wind so bad that they he's worried that he's going to hit his head on the plane. <laughs> like, that's how bad it's going. Like, and he, he had to, like, dodge it, I think. He had to dodge getting hit a couple of times doing that, so. I That sequence, that was one of those that I read about, and it just impressed me all the more. And, like, you were, like, um, what was I going to say? Like, and I think my thing, when I say realistic, like, I don't care. It's a movie. I don't expect it to be, like, but I, but you do have to make me believe that what you're doing is happening, I guess. And this definitely does yeah. that. You yeah, know? yeah. And there's, there's that whole bit where he's like cutting mm-hmm. off the, 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 the ties on his shoes and all that stuff. And it's just like, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, and also the, um, the scene where he, he drops the bomb on the bridge, apparently that's like, that's an insane amount yeah, of like, sure. work they had to do on that. Cause they had to. They 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 had a real life location, but the bridge was like too too short or something like that. So they built this miniature, so with a forced perspective, uh, where you see it and it looks like this huge bridge, right? And then like it doesn't look like it's it doesn't look at all like it's a miniature or anything like that. But when they blow it up, that's like cutting seamlessly to they're the studios exactly. in Pinewood and they've got, they've built like a quarter version of that, of that bridge to blow up and everything. And so it all yeah. looks very seamless. So very, very well done. And this is, like I said, these are some people who've been doing bond films for at this point, they've been doing them since the, I think most of the people who are on these have been doing them since the seventies, oh, yeah. you know? Uh, so they all have like, uh, uh, like, a whole bunch of just a huge amount of knowledge on how to make it look right and everything. So there's no, if there's anything that you want to talk about with the, the Timothy Dalton bonds, the stunts and the uh, special effects and all that, those are all top notch. Well, exactly. And Dalton could even do some of his own stuff because he was younger than Moore. You know, yeah. I mean, those last few Moore films, Moore was just getting up there where he couldn't do all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, it just and, looked bad. Yeah, so they started doing, like, the karate chops and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Dalton's actually, like, you know, it's physical fights and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, I agree. When he's the one, he's hanging on to the top of that yeah. uh, that Jeep or whatever at the yeah. beginning of the movie. And, yeah, I mean, and... it's, not, it's not Tom Cruise levels necessarily, but he's doing no. more. He's doing a lot more than Moore could have been doing. You right. Know, if, if they had mm-hmm. brought Moore back i don't i don't know what that movie would have been no. i don't think that was ever really considered but I mean, yeah it's funny yeah uh the cello sled scene uh miriam diabo talked <laughs> about that yeah she was like in charge of like controlling it which she said was really hard because dalton was just heavier than her so mm-hmm. she couldn't she couldn't keep it in a straight line uh and for those that don't know what we're talking about there's a 
there's a Miriam Diabo is in an orchestra. She plays cello. So they have to get down this hill. So they take the cello out of the case and hold it and use it to kind of steer the case. And then they slide down. Yeah, which uh, is the thing the that hill. they uh, behind the scenes they built with the pair of skis yeah. and the, like all and this way to control it and all that. But apparently it was really hard to do it. But um, th- that's a pretty funny sequence because because <laughs> because uh, uh, he's uh dalton is yeah like can't believe it like first off she's like i need to get my cello after they've gotten away yeah. from the bad guys yeah. and she's like there's no way they're gonna know that you're not there in 10 minutes or whatever and it's like he's like i'm not leaving without my cello and he's like we're not getting your cello of course they go back to get the cello <laughs> and then later on when they actually need the cello case he's like yeah. he's like remind me to tell you know tell you know it's like it's a good thing that i insisted that you bring your cello yeah you know? exactly <laughs> yeah so that she also said they had those explosives in the snow that were popping as yep. they went along. That was really freaking her out, which I'm sure well, yeah. I mean, it would freak me out. So. That was the that was one of the funnier uh, parts of the behind the scenes, the way they edited it, because one of the stunt coordinator guys was like, "Oh, they were having a they were having a ball doing that scene," and then it would cut to Miriam Dabo, and she'd be like, "I hated every minute of doing that scene." <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, yeah, they were having a lot of fun." He's like, "He's like, no, really, I hated." every minute of it so it reminds me there's this movie called uh the seven ups it's like this 70s like cop thriller with roy schneider and uh uh, richard lynch the actor he plays one of the villains and -hmm. there's this amazing car chase sequence i don't know how easy that movie is to come across but seven ups if you're really into car chases the seven ups has one of the best Mm -hmm. but uh richard lynch is in the car with the stunt driver so like Every time you see Richard Lynch's face, like he is freaking the fuck out. And it's like, it's like actual him freaking the fuck out. Cause this guy mm-hmm. was driving the car all crazy because he was a stunt driver. Yeah. And Richard Lynch is sitting there thinking, holy shit, I'm going to die. So it's mm-hmm. just kind of one of those. It's like you were getting to like, I love that when you get like natural, like natural actual reactions from the actors. Mm-hmm. Not that I want the actors put through hell or anything, but it's just, I don't know. That yeah. kind of just reminded me of that, you know, her, you know, her, her fear, her screams are, are totally 100% legit. Like mm-hmm. she's not, she's not pretending. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's funny. I need to watch that behind the it scenes. Kinda, it kind of reminds me, uh, you know, you know, talking about Miriam Dabo and her, yeah. spin, and like it's uh, the previous movie, Grace Jones. Yeah. Uh, they did a whole bunch of stuff there where they didn't tell her that those were fake explosives or whatever <laughs> and and like she was freaking out when they when they were which, blowing up which is also terrible like yeah. I, mean, I you know uh yeah uh, god i've i've and there's like you can read like cameron will do stuff like that where he doesn't mm-hmm. James, he doesn't tell people like even the stunt people he doesn't tell them things i don't, I don't yeah get that, but whatever that's a whole other thing yeah but uh but yeah, really some some really exciting action sequences. Did you have anything more on like the production or? No, I mean most of the stuff in the behind the scenes is talking about how tough all the stunt uh, stuff yeah. was. Uh, the the selection of Timothy Dalton and all of that is a is a big deal in there. And um, there, there's not there's you know it's it gets more and more about that now in these behind the scenes. So there's not much else to really. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else that I can I can remember talking about on it. It's crazy, and there's a lot of things that factor into this. We already mentioned Timothy Dalton being a little younger, and not, but I don't know if that they were willing to go a lot more extra. But it's like this just felt bigger, even though it's like it's it's a much smaller story. Like like you said, it's just it's just basically a gun story. Like it's you know uh, illegal you know, buying guns for wars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a super like extravagant plot. 
Yeah, nobody's but, a big, huge villain in this. Like, there's no, a lot of part villains in this. But it does feel like it's more intense, and it does the stunt stuff feels a lot bigger than it had been the last few films. And we're talking about a movie that followed up a movie where there was a fight on top of the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. I mean, and that still, like, I was not like, at, I wasn't like in suspense watching that. No. You know, whereas in this, sometimes, even though I, like, I know Dalton's not going to die, but like, I've mm-hmm. seen the movie, but I don't know. It yeah. just, it seemed a little more, it was more intense. Let's put it that yeah. way. Uh, let's talk about the music real quick. Uh, it's the final Bond film to be composed by John Barry. Mm-hmm. Uh, soundtrack is notable. I don't know exactly what this means, but I went ahead and wrote it down because they said it was notable. Uh, for using sequenced electronic rhythm tracks, which they overdubbed with an orchestra, that's something that's more common now, or mm-hmm. at least over the last like couple decades. But it, but no one was doing it uh, back mm-hmm. then. So Barry's kind of considered one of the guys that that was at the beginning of that, where there was a lot more electronic and stuff like that. Yeah. In. Uh, Living Daylight's title song was co-written. It was Barry, and then it was co-written with. Uh, I don't. I'm, I could not find out how to pronounce this guy's last name. His name is uh, Pal uh, Waktar. Is what I'm going to go with. No. Oh. Uh, it's W A A K T A A R. But he is the lead. He is in the group Aha. Yeah. Uh, and Aha, the group actually recorded the song as well. Yep. And it is called The Living Daylights, and we will mm-hmm. talk about that later. Yep. <laughs> Uh, there is another version of this song that Aha preferred, which I could not find. I mean, I, I I was trying to find it on YouTube. I guess I could have looked at my music app. But uh, there's another version of this that Aha preferred, and it's available on their album, which is called Stay on These Roads. From what I could tell, though, it was it's just a it's a toned down version of it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the James Bond version's got like the orchestra and all that stuff. And I think yep. it's just a little more. Uh, Living Daylights was the first film to use a different song over the closing credits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I guess that means that had a song over the opening because obviously Doctor yeah. No is different, but I, yeah, yeah, that doesn't yeah. count. I think uh, yeah, I think they're they're basically focused on what the yeah. theme song when they started making real theme songs were. Yeah, yeah. the uh, song over the closing credits is called "If There Was a Man." Uh, it's performed by Chrissy Hine of the uh, of the Pretenders. Yeah, who, se- who I've seen in concert. Oh, nice. They opened for the B fifty two. Oh, well, there you go. You probably saw the, that concert back in 1991. Shack, the, huh? You probably saw that concert back in 1991. No, actually, it was a little later. It was it was their it was their second album. It was uh uh it was not their second album. It was the album after uh Love Shack. Mm-hmm. And that album know. might not have been called Love Shack. I actually I don't think it was. But I don't know. <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, I think it was like nine. I want to say it was 96. Is what I want to say. Oh, okay. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but anyways, uh, there's a lot of classical music in this because Diabo plays mm-hmm. a, cello, a cello, a cellist. Uh, Mozart's 40th Symphony in G Minor, uh, Borodin String Quartet in D Major, and the finale to Act Two of Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. Which talking about all that makes mm-hmm. me want to go watch Amadeus right now. But um, I just thought I'd mention those for the for the classical fans that are, I'm sure we have a ton listening to us. Mm-hmm. Yes. A bunch of people working on their own operas and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of what the music... The uh, reception, uh, the reviews were very mixed. Uh, Rita Kempley of the Washington Post said Dalton was the best Bond ever. Uh, Roger Ebert hated it. Uh, he thought mm-hmm. Dalton was just okay. Uh, he, kind, he he was kind of really kind of mean about Diabo. Uh, and hmm. he really hated Joe Don Baker. 
uh, Siskel, mm. di- Siskel didn't like it either. And for some reason, it was so funny reading that and just being reminded that they both gave speed to two thumbs up. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. It's like, why mm. did I ever listen to these people? I mean, that's not why. I mean, you don't, you're not, you don't have to agree with a critic to like them. But, uh, it's, uh, but it's a still lot of times it's, it's a lot of times it's where you are and you know what what you're what, what mood, mood you're, you're in, feeling yeah. and what in, what anticipation that's the reason why those anomalies happen a lot of well, times yeah and it's like so. you know if you're just like it's it, it, especially in the summer man if you're watching like shit after shit and then all of a sudden something's not like the worst thing you've ever seen it's like so it feels like so much better than it is yeah, although I still don't know where that know how that would have applied no. for speed two, but uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's a there's you know there's a thing there where I mean I can see you being in a weird like you know state and you watch that and you're like oh man this Willem Dafoe performance is all over the top I love it and you just oh, whatever well oh. imagine how bad it would be without Willem Dafoe in it like that would be yeah it would oh my god I know. Be such a fun. He's the work. only yeah. thing worth watching in that movie. Um, retrospective reviews are much more positive. Uh, most noting they like the realistic approach and showing the darker side of Bond. So, and maybe that is yeah. why the Daniel Craig films became so huge. Hmm. Uh, although it's kind of, I think I feel like there's a reasoning there, though. I feel like people are going like because it it feels that way like throughout. Like you got Connery, it's fairly serious. And then Lazenby, I don't know what Laz. I'm not even counting Lazenby. I don't know what that is. But you got Connery's fairly serious. Roger Moore is definitely what I think a lot of people, when they think of Bond, that's what they think of. Like, he's joking, one-liners, a lot more flipping about things. And then you've got uh, a couple of, of Daltons. He's pretty serious. And then Brosnan's more like Moore. I don't think he's quite as silly as Moore, but he's definitely more like him. And then you go to Daniel Craig. So it's kind of like you go back and forth. So I'm really hoping the next one... I wonder if, I don't know that they will, but it'd be interesting to see if they went a little lighter, you know, or a little, not, not lighter is not the word, but if they're going to be more like Brosnan and more on the next one, there's rumors out there. People like Aaron Taylor Johnson are in the running and that kind of makes me Mm -hmm. think it might be that more like a Brosnan kind of bond, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Could be, could be, um, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I think that's right. Like they, they try to kind of like, you know, balance what they did the last time, mm-hmm. uh, out and everything. And so, yeah, it would be, it'd be cool to have like a more a sunnier bond on this next one. And Aaron Taylor Johnson would be a pretty good one. Oh no, I, I have think, no, it's, I, you know, it always works. I mean, people will complain whoever it is, but like, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it it's, I, Lazenby's not great by any means, but like that movie still kind of rules. And Connery Moore, Brosnan, and Craig have all made good Bond films. I just, I'm not, I don't know. It doesn't really concern me. Like they've never, they've mm-hmm. never not had somebody that could pull it off. So, mm-hmm. but anyways, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, we'll get, I will get to how we think of Dalton here <laughs> later. So, yeah, we're about to do that, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. We are going to talk about the movie itself. And this is a uh, segment we like to call a review to a kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. 
we are going to give you our thoughts on whatever film we are discussing this week. And this week, we are discussing The Living Daylights. Let me give you a little sub let me give you a little plot analysis here which is you know imdb provides such a great plot summaries james bond is sent to investigate a kgb policy to kill all enemy spies and uncover an arms deal that potentially has major global ramifications that's all you're getting that's your plot <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's about it i mean it's not as we've said it's not a really involved plot there's not a lot of plot it's it's you know th- this they're trying to buy guns from Jodon Baker, and there's this whole thing where the uh, the the crab the crabbe. What how did you say you pronounce his last name? Yeroon Crabbe. Yeroon Crabbe. His character is defecting, which ends up kind of being like a a double cross kind of scenario uh, where that mm-hmm. was, they're letting they basically him defecting as part of the Soviet plan to do all this. Uh, John Rhys Davies is is gonna you know procure the weapons from from Brad Whitaker. Also, we forgot to mention Brad Whitaker when you enter his house or whatever that is, he has all these like uh, world like leader statues or whatever, and mm-hmm. it's all like the most evil sons of bitches. You, it's like it's like Hitler yep. and Genghis Khan. It just yeah, it's uh, Napoleon and. Uh, Although I don't know, Napoleon wasn't like no. evil. No, that's true. Um, I should have like, said evil, but yeah, I Hitler mean, is. I don't even know if there was a Hitler. Was there a Hitler in there? Well, now you're having me question that. I think so. Yeah, I don't know if there was a Hitler. I don't know. Anyway, there. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's it's people he aspires to that had like great military victories and things. Yes, like that. he's really into military victories, and he like he plays out battles. Yeah. in his office with his little with his toys. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and he's uh, he and famously in the Civil War reenactment at the end, he's like, "Boy, <laughs> Lee could have won that if if he just did what he was supposed to do." I'm like, God damn, you wanted Lee to win, huh? Timothy Dalton, first, first, are both of our first like maybe theatrical experiences. You're not positive if it says your license to kill, but Timothy Dalton is both of our first bonds, basically. Yeah. Uh, so, what did you think about your rewatching of the live? You so you had seen Living Daylight. This is the was this the first one you had seen as a kid? I guess that we've talked about. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I remember License to Kill more because of Robert Davi being in it. But I don't know why Robert Davi was so memorable about that about License to Kill. But, uh, but I am almost certain that I started my Bond watching nice. with The Living Daylights. I just didn't remember much about this movie, and uh, I had not. I mean, I've not seen it since that 2006 run uh, of uh, going through all this stuff and everything. But so I think I don't know what I thought when I was a kid. I I have no idea what I thought. Um, I know that when I watched it, watched this particular movie back in the run in 2006, I was like, this is a lot better than I remember uh this being and i and i know that like there was this you know this hatred of dalton dalton for some reason like i understand he's not Moore or connery but every new guy is going to have to go through this because they have an they have a different interpretation of the character and everything there are there are some lines that they get timothy dalton to say that are classic bond things that seem a little bit too rushed and don't seem like his character whatsoever um when he says bond james bond it's very rushed 
like Bond, James Bond, blah 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 blah. Get it? Let's just get that out of the way. And then like he goes to that hotel and they tell him, oh, you want a vodka martini? And he's like shaken, not stirred. Yeah. Like it was like it's just sort of it's more of an acknowledgement that those are lines in Bond movies than it is this guy own taking ownership over those lines. Um, but I really like Timothy yeah. Dalton in this. Movie. Timothy Dalton's a great uh, actor. I think first off, I mean, yeah, I mean, License to Kill's not, you know, which comes next is not a great movie at all, and you know, I, I think, I think at that point, you're, you know, people are like, I don't know, this, there's definitely something not working, but it's not, it's not Dalton, I don't believe, but once you, once you have a couple of what you could perceive as failures, I guess you're just like, all right, we're just going to scrap everything, but. I think he's really good in this, and um, it's if there is an issue with the Living Daylights, it's not Dalton. No. It's more, it's more about for me the plot, which I just I, I know that these movies are never really about a coherent plot. Uh, we said it's very simple, but it's also like a lot of moving oh, no, parts absolutely. in this it's, plot. It can, yeah, yeah. Simple is probably not the right word. I, th- no, no, it's well, simple for real. It is like it's it's the, people buying arms and it's selling arms to different yeah, people are, and blah. The blah, villains' blah. motives are very simple compared to most Bond but, films, for sure. Yes, yeah. There's no uh, there's no giant huge plan no. to put like you know we we've been dealing with space lasers, we've been dealing with ships swallowing other ships, we've been dealing with all these like big time, big scale world things. This is you know this is more of a in this part of the in this part of the world this thing is going on. You know like th- that General Georgi Koskov character like they 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 try so many like back and forth things on him first he's one of the good guys with bond is bond he's asked for bond specifically to protect him at this opera or this not opera this uh this orchestra orchestra thing or whatever and and uh bond makes these very like um like on spur of the moment decisions his job is to kill whoever's trying to kill him but he decides not to kill Miriam Dabo at the beginning of the movie because he's like, oh, well, she doesn't look like a sniper or whatever. <laughs> so it's like, okay, and so he he helps he helps Georgi get out using that Trans Siberian pipeline, putting him in that little like tube mm-hmm. or whatever, and shooting him across over to Western Europe and everything. And then we find, and then then he gets kidnapped, and then we find out, oh, he. He did. He did one thing to make it look like he had he had defected, and now he's making it look like a he's behind the kidnapping too, and he's making it look like he got kidnapped. And it's like, what is the motive? What are the motivations going on here? There's like a point where Bond asks him, like, "You're not going to be able to defect. There, nobody's going to let you defect now, or whatever." And he's and and uh, Georgi says something to the effect of like. He he has some weird saying something yeah. like always a soldier or always what does he say I don't even remember what like um like it doesn't explain what he's doing it's just a saying that I, I mean yeah. it's lost to me what that saying is supposed to mean and it makes it even more confusing that Bond's like we have a saying too and you're full of it and I was like what what I'm lost I'm completely lost now. Um, and 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 especially when they drag the the mujahideen in this thing 
when they drag them into the picture and it's like though they're they're selling opium to Georgi so that Georgi can profit off he can sell it on the streets and then I guess. I guess he's supposed to use that money to buy the arms from Joe Don Baker and then he's supposed to give those to Russia but Russia doesn't want yeah. him alive because he's embezzled money from them and I'm just I I look there may be a, an, an absolute total explanation of what Georgi is doing in this movie and I just missed it and I'm sorry to the listener on that there's some people out there who probably the biggest living daylights fans there are in the, in history and they're like oh it's very simple to know what he was doing but i don't know if it is i mean you know that you know the basics of it and then obviously like i said there's that kind of twist towards the end where he actually was supposed to defect it's like part of the you know part of the plan or whatever uh, that they yeah. had but no it's it that's what i'm saying i i guess we should say that the villains are a lot more simple as far as like their motives and what they're trying to do you know they're not trying to like eradicate the world's water supply or whatever but um they but the 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 story is, is convoluted um mm -hmm. it's like it's really and and a lot of this and you know i, I am going to do um the talk about the book a little bit later but there's not a lot to talk about the short story but the the like first like 20 minute like leading up to him not killing uh, Miriam Diabo like all that is pretty like that's fine like all that's pretty you know stays together well and you're in and, but but that's also where kind of the adaptation ends and then mm -hmm. and then they're just creating shit after that and yeah and it kind of feels like that at time I do like this movie uh I I I, I don't remember anything about what I thought of it as a kid I watched License to Kill a lot more than I watched Living Daylights as a kid mm -hmm. I know I did um it was just the more I don't know. It was the more like it had like kind of bigger. It just it flowed better, I guess, from a from a kid standpoint, right? Yeah. And uh, and but we'll talk about that next week, obviously. But um, but I do like this. I think Dalton's great. Dalton's a theatrically trained actor. Like I can I can I agree that Craig might be a little better than him as far as acting goes. But like he he's Dalton and Connery's obviously very good. But like Dalton's Dalton is a really good actor. Uh, mm -hmm. whether that doesn't necessarily make him a great bond, but, uh, I think he's fine. I, I do agree with you. And I did read him say that the way he was kind of flippant about the bond, James Bond thing was, uh, was, was purposeful, mm -hmm. uh, because he didn't want to feel like he was just doing, he wanted it to feel more natural. And I think yeah. he's on the phone and somebody just mm -hmm. kind of asked him like, what, who is this or whatever. Yeah. And he just answers them because he's just like, I would just, I mean, that I would just tell him my name. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't say anything about the shaking, not stirred. So I don't know why he did that one. But I, but I know at least that one was purposeful. And also that pissed a lot of people off the way he said it. Because it's kind of mm -hmm. like uh, when Luke Skywalker chucks the lightsaber in uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the beginning of uh, Last Jedi. It's Last, Last Jedi, Jedi, right? Yeah. yeah, it's Last Jedi. That, you know, that pissed a lot of people off. Uh, mm -hmm. because they weren't really thinking about what that actually meant. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. yeah. but anyways, that's, that's but it just kind of reminds me of that. So like, I, I guess I can see why people would get irritated if they mm -hmm. loved this character and they like this guy's it's a, it was supposed to be Pierce Brosnan. Now it's, you know, the second guy, which is not even really the case, but that's how it was read. Mm -hmm. And then he's being super like, just flip it about this shit. And, I wouldn't say this is like super dark. Like this isn't like what the Craig movies get to, but 
But compared to all of the Roger Moore ones we've just sat through and Never Say Never Again and Diamonds Are Forever even, I mean, it's it's well, it feels really a lot dark. darker. Huh? Really dark is li- really dark is licensed to kill. <laughs> that's the one that. Gets oh, you know that, that's like, definitely darker than this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But as I was getting to when I was talking about like the the weird Georgi yeah. um, uh, motivations and all of this, as I was saying, like the Bond movies, I don't think have ever been like this plot supposed to be coherent. Mm-hmm. They're just really just trying to set up all these awesome uh, stunt work mm-hmm. and action sequences and everything. Uh, I think at this point I'm a little skied out on these movies. Oh, There's yeah. so many ski sequences <laughs> that they've done. It's almost like John Glenn is is asking for it. He's he's like John <laughs> Peters and the Spider and the Spider and all of those movies that Peters and Goober were gonna do. Oh my uh, god! But uh, he he does a ski scene. It seems like in every one of these movies. Um, I so I'm, I'm skied out on those now. Uh, all that other stuff. I love the. I love all these other little sequences that go in here. The the car going into the the houseboat thing. And, yeah. And uh, and going around that. The. I mean, it's ridiculous, but the tire tread getting off of the car and he yeah, cuts no. the. I love that. He sequence. cuts the circle through the ice and he gets that yeah. one to sink. It's really cool. Then the car is loaded with gadgets. Yeah. Um. And uh, he has a whole bunch of stuff. He's got the one thing where he whistles. And, uh, you know, he, he can either have the, the smoke come out, the, the knockout gas come out, or it's a bomb, depending on what uh, whatever you do. But anyway, uh, I've never thought that the, 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 they've done a lot of these plots where it's like, okay, you don't really have to follow exactly what's going on. But for somebody who's trying to make sense of what all the characters are doing, it, it becomes really hard. And he's supposed to, that's what's kind of fun about this. He's supposed to kill uh Kara, the Miriam Dabo character, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to kill Pushkin, mm-hmm. the John Reese Davies character, but in both instances it is doesn't do it. He makes yeah. a call. And it's a weird thing about Bond in this is and I think it it, it it continues in license to kill. He's not really like married to no. uh like the job really in these things. He likes the license to kill part and he likes the like being he, he he's just really kind of his own character and that's a sort of a reflection of the 80s i think too where you have all these cop movies that are out now where like you know you have the lethal weapons of the world mm-hmm. which came out the same year um you have all these like rogue cops who don't who don't follow the rules and everything and it's like a very 80s thing for this to, so I, I feel like that's part of it too like this this bond here would never have flown back in the connery days and no. like like m would have like reprimanded this dude of course you know reprimanded we, we've seen connery get reprimanded many times but it's never stuck but i don't think connery ever had the balls to do some of the things that no that the dalton one does maybe i'm maybe i'm looking not looking into the but it seemed like bond always co- sort of went by the rules like uh, to a point i mean there were things that he obviously like he would do extracurricular activities but like the not killing people when they've told to kill people he does that twice in this movie and doesn't get fired um 
Yeah, he doesn't get fired, and then he and then he stages that one with John Reese Davies, where he's just like, yeah. "All right, we're gonna put some blood packets on you, and you're gonna we're gonna stage your death for the whole world." Like, I don't know how that how that how that plays at MI6, right? Like, you everybody's seen your face and everything, and you like wanted like <laughs> how does that work on a world I scale? I don't. You know, I like, don't know. It the movie is the movie doesn't the movie doesn't have you know doesn't care about those considerations. No, you're but. right though connery he would go against it sometimes but i mean connery and elm almost felt like a father-son thing like the way they yeah. you know it, yeah i know dalton's very different uh the way he goes about doing the role but i like i mean i like that's part of why i like it because it's it's it is different like if they had mm-hmm. just turned him into connery or more i don't think it really works and i think he should yeah. have been in more than two movies i mean i think he should have at least been in a few but yeah uh, i think i think once they realized that they had to reboot you had to just yeah take the whole you know was the the throw the baby out with the bathwater that old yeah and they, that and we'll old talk, thing we'll talk about it probably we probably won't talk about it till we talk about goldeneye but they were planning on making a third dalton film like that was mm-hmm. that was always the plan even after license to kill didn't exactly light the world on fire but yeah. other things happen because that's that's one of the longest gaps uh yeah in between in between but anyways uh mm-hmm. as far as this one though yeah i agree i there are things i don't like about it the the villains there's too many villains none of them are interesting yeah uh yeah i like the actors doing in the roles even even jodan baker like jodan baker's fine he's been in stuff that yeah. i like but like he's yeah. just such a nothing character in this. and he's like a buff- right he's, and he's like a he's like such a buffoon like i don't even know how he's the guy in charge of all this stuff or how he has not been arrested yet uh bond gets a drop on him super easy <laughs> so i don't mm-hmm. i got nothing yeah uh, I do the you're right about the ski scene. I don't care much about that, but I do kind of love the part where they go past the 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 customs or whatever, and he's like, "We've got nothing to declare." And then you hear Miriam Tiapa go, "Just a cello," like from yeah, like from yeah, the yeah. That's really cool. It's so yeah. silly, but it just I that's one of the like one of the few things like always sticks in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. and I love the car chase. Uh, I love the pre-title sequence is a lot of fun, even though it ends up just yep. being a, a test. It's very good. Yeah. That opening time, that pre-title sequence is great. I like, and I do like the, the whole orchestra thing and yeah, you know, he has that asshole agent that's like, who, who's with him during that thing. It's like, this is my job. This is my oh, is operation. Saunders or, yeah, yeah. Saunders. Yeah. Who, who does, this is another thing about these Bond movies. There's a point where like, we're like Saunders is fucking worthless or whatever. And then like, uh, at the carnival scene he like has his one moment to shine where he he's like oh by the way whitaker's the one who bought that cello for her and all that and like oh that connects that connects whitaker with uh with uh, Georgi and everything and it's like oh you've shown your usefulness now now you're dying you're gonna de- <laughs> you're gonna die and i'm and i'm sitting there going bond could have figured that out himself i don't know why he needed this dude to like figure out that whitaker bought the cello and everything <laughs> bond could have done that on his own um, so like it's always like as always if you help bond in these movies you're gonna die it's it's funny though the saunders thing speaking also of the casino real and everything like the craig films saunders seems like a precursor to the uh what's that uh, the rory um oh what's his name is it rory kinnear yeah rory kinnear who plays like he's in some of the craig films He's kind of like uh, like Elm's like right hand person or something. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know you're talking about. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, he's an he's Tanner. a character actor though. He's in a ton. He's in a ton a lot of ton of things. Rory yeah, Kinnear, yeah, but he plays Tanner in the Craig films, and I don't know that Saunders reminded me of of Tanner. So, but Tanner is actually a much more interesting character, probably because you have a better actor. I don't know, or it might Rory be Rory Kinnear was also in that movie Men that came yes, out last that's probably, year. Yeah, was like yeah, where he plays everybody. Well, I don't know. Is yeah, that a spoiler? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I, now I want to talk about men. It's not. It's not really. It's <laughs> no. not really a spoiler. Um, but yeah. So and then and then like we were talking about the the card. There's a, there's a lot. I think that's. I think this one is. I think this one works almost solely on the action sequences, and mm-hmm. Dalton's. At times, his approach is is a, is interesting. Uh, sometimes it doesn't yeah. work. I agree. I think the way he just kind of flipped. Like like he should have just not had to say that martini line. Uh, yeah i agree if you're gonna make a different bond and you've decided yes this is going to be a more serious bond more grounded into the books which is what he dalton was saying like he read some of the books to make it more like the fleming and everything like if you're gonna be that way then then throw out the the ones that we know from connery and more and all that and just be your own be well, your own dude at that point. And even like he even they they didn't give him too many, but every now and then they still give him like a like a witty reply. Like there's one where he uh, the when they ask what happened to um uh who is he fighting with on who is he fighting with on the plane? Oh, uh, with the the the, the uh, um what's his name the uh, Necros. Oh yeah, character? and then somebody said like what happened to Necros, and he says he got the boot like that. It just yeah, it yeah, just yeah. doesn't work when the, the way it does not work at all because you're because you're like that's that's somebody that's like a dramatic actor trying to do a comedic actor work yeah. or whatever we- or some or or. Yeah, whatever. Which is weird because Dalton can be really funny. Like if you've seen Hot yeah. Fuzz, I mean he's sure. fucking great in that. So I don't, I don't. But the, it's not the character. No. It's not the, it's not yeah. the person playing it. It's the character. Yeah, that it's he's just playing. the way they've made this James Bond. Like I don't know why you even gave him one joke because he just, you know, I don't feel like they do that with Craig. So I think they kind of, I, I still like I'm saying, I think the Dalton movies give them lessons to take and like make mm-hmm. the Craig movies more. I don't know better. Yeah. I guess. But um, I'm also not sure John Glenn is a great director um, after I've watched four of these that he's done, like, back to back to back. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not terrible. Yeah. He's not terrible by any means. But, like, I just don't think he adds anything. Like, he's no. – everything's kind of flat and, like, I don't know. But I don't know that there's really, like, yeah. a Bond director that we've seen that's well, done a super better job. Well, but Look at what he's made outside of the Bond too like is there is there anything there we'd consider like a classic that he's made outside of the bond movies i can't remember right now what else he had done i know i mentioned him the last the first time we talked about him but yeah i mean so yeah i don't i think that's a guy who who worked his way up as a first when he was a first assistant or first unit or whatever director and he and he and he got this job and and uh and and i didn't i didn't i didn't really like look to see like uh, i i wasn't really like paying much attention to what glenn was doing except weirdly during the scene where the plane crashes at the end where they're watching Mm -hmm. the plane crash it was really weird to see like they have this shot set up and i guess the shot looked terrible after this point because they show the plane blow up and it's like a split second you see the fire yeah and then they cut to a cutaway uh, uh you know of of uh of dalton and dabo looking at the 
uh, at the crash, mm-hmm. and then they come, they cut back, and it's a you know, it's a it's a bunch of flames and everything, and it's like you normally would just show that full explosion yeah, without any cutaways, and they just I don't know some weird things going on there, yeah. but uh, I think he's just more of an action guy, and like I think yeah. action scenes get a lot of action scenes get a lot of love and like everything else like characterization and and uh and like how people are playing a certain thing that's probably not his strong suit probably not um so i so i think if if you look at all the different uh, areas that the director is responsible for he's good at action scenes yeah no that's true and that's all you really need to be good at with a bond movie but it, a lot of other things kind of like fall by the wayside because of that yeah. i think and I, but I think, and these are probably his best action sequences that he's done so far. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember. Like, I'm trying to think of. I mean, like, I know there was nothing on this level in View to a Kill, for Your Eyes Only, mm-hmm. and uh, Octopussy. I don't. I nothing pops in my head off the top of my head. But these are these are really good. But yeah, I don't really have a. I mean, I, I I think this is a totally solid movie. I think it's like I would it's probably in the middle of you know the my Bond rankings or whatever. Mm-hmm. there's nothing horribly wrong with it, but there's also nothing like truly great about it. It's just the action sequences are really good. Uh, Dalton and mm-hmm. Diablo, they have some chemistry. They're kind of fun together. Uh, yeah. Like I said, a lot of what Dalton's doing here, I mean, not all, not a lot, but at least half of what Dalton's doing here is pretty interesting. Um, and, and let's face it, this is better than probably 60 to 70% of the more bonds. Yes. Oh, it. I mean, it's, it's not as it's good not as Spy Who Loved sp- Me. Um, not as good as that, and it's probably maybe on par with Octopussy. Maybe. Yeah. Either it's it, it's about the same. Yeah. I mean. And Live and Let Die, like Live and Let Die, has its moments. That's true. Except for the we've talked about the halves, yeah. the tale of two halves with that movie. But it's definitely better than The Man with the Golden Gun. It's definitely better than For Your Eyes Only. It's way better than A View yeah. to a Kill. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, it, you're, 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 you know, you're, this is a, this is a solid entry I mean, in would, the middle of all and of that. And it's better than diamonds are forever. It's better than, it is uh, clearly It's better than, uh, you only live twice. Uh, mm-hmm. Moonraker. It's like, like I would put it kind of in that area, like octopusy Moonraker, yeah. live and let die. I'd put it somewhere in like in the middle of all those. Uh, no, it's mm-hmm. good. What's funny is it's. Like theme wise, I mean, or or mood wise, it's trying to be for your eyes only, yeah. which was the one that was trying to get back to corral it back into uh, being serious, quote unquote, and everything. But but it's um, not boring like but that. I movie. don't know. Yeah, it's not boring like that <laughs> no, movie. It's never yes, boring. exactly. It's like it's it's hard to follow the plot at times, just because there's too many people that factor into everything, and it's just and like. I don't know, like Pushkin, like I don't, I don't even, I, I almost feel like that character doesn't have to exist. I, I seriously, like, I, maybe he does, but like, I just, it when they doesn't would go seem back like to him, I'd be like, oh yeah, John Reese Davies is in this movie. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> but anyways, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, let's do our rankings. Uh, we are now going to rank this film in five different categories. Our scale will be based on something that Bond holds near and dear to his heart. As long as they are shaken and not stirred, that would be martinis. Each category, we're going to rank from one to five martinis, five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, one being the well liquor you had to settle for, or were too drunk to care that night. Our first, our overall feeling towards the movie, the the story, whatever. The, what, what would you rank that? Um, The story itself is... It's got good yeah. elements to it. 
it's got stuff that's you know this is what we what we want a kind of the kind of adventure that bond we you know want to see bond in but um i think there's just a little bit too much confusion for me there's too many like oh well this is what he meant to do all along and this is what his real motivations were and and everything so like there's too much of that going on but uh, you know all in all i'd say this is like a three i agree i think this is what three star movies like it's like a perfect example of a three star movie (laughs) very solid Mm -hmm. fun you know afternoon watching a movie uh the yeah. bond i'll go first i guess i i you know i like i said i agree with you that some of these lines don't make sense that's not really dalton's fault though but like mm. i think overall he's really good i'm gonna give him a four because i i really like him mm-hmm. in the role like he's he he and he seems to be already like really comfortable for the most part okay yeah um i you know i unfortunately i i guess i have to weigh in the fact that I'm not sure if they knew what they wanted to do with Dalton. And there's a point there where there's a, there's a point there where I don't know if he's the, if he's really in the movie that much, it's weird to say that like he's the main character, but like there's points in there where I'm like, I I was, I was like halfway through the movie trying to remember scenes that he was in. And was like, okay, yeah, he's, he's in that beginning scene. Uh, and he's in the, um, He's in the opera scene, but there's like nothing that he has to say or real. He he has a couple of lines. He you know he tells Saunders you know need to know basis and all that, which is what Saunders told him, and you know it's all that to, you know getting back getting even whatever type of thing going on there. But I was actually like sitting there like, is there has he have they done anything with this guy? <laughs> they haven't like made him. It, it, you think about the beginning of. Uh, you think about the beginning of uh, the Craig Casino mm-hmm. Royale and think about how that just made him bond immediately. No, that's that's the better, opening yeah. of that movie. Uh, and 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 Brosnan even has a really good uh, opening scene in this. This scene, it's good scene. It's a really good scene, but it doesn't it doesn't tell you who Dalton is as Bond. Yeah, yet. that makes sense. Um it doesn't make him it doesn't define the role and the fact that they don't know what to do with him whether they give him the jokes or not they seem like they're kind of holding yeah. back and then they give him the joke and we know okay now we realize why you didn't give him the jokes and all this type of thing going on so i give him a 3 i think he's better than what a lot of people remember mm-hmm. for, for sure. sure he him as an actor i think is a yeah. 4 for sure what they did with the Bond character is a three overall. Yeah, that's totally fair. And then, it, yeah, so anyway. No, I no, that's totally fair. Um, I mean, I and I'm probably, like I said, I don't do, I usually don't do half, so I might be closer to like a three and a half, but I just, I wrap mm-hmm. it up. No, no, four is good. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I can see a world with four, that, right? That's, that is a good point, though, about how, you're right, man, Craig might have like the best first opening ever just because of that. Like, it's a real simple situation, but mm-hmm. he just like, oh, that's Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a good point. Uh, I'm like actually, I haven't watched that one in a while. I'm looking forward to revisiting that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's another movie I think you could argue is a uh, has uh, it could be a a story of two halves, but uh, I I don't know. Uh, We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Um, Yeah. So our next one is the villain henchman. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, this is a, this is this is bottom of the barrel, unfortunately, and with a lot of great actors involved I know. too. It's I mean, crazy. well, I mean, you know, it depends on what you think about solid Joe actors, Baker, I guess. Yeah, solid actors, and Jeroen Crabbe. I mean, it's a guy who, you know, I've seen The Fugitive a hundred mm-hmm. million times, and he's great mm-hmm. as Charles Nichols in that movie. Um, but, um, I, yeah, I mean, the villains are are two. I would say maybe I'll do that too. Cause I mean, the actors are good enough. It, it's just, mm-hmm. it, there's just, there's too many of them. Like I, I don't even, mm-hmm. I don't even know like half the time who we're supposed to be focusing on. I don't really know. I, I mean, guess Yorgi's the main villain kind of, but I, yeah, I don't he know. is, he is. I mean, ultimately he is, but, but like they have to do that thing where we think he's good. Uh, speaking of another thing, they pull off a lot better uh, in a future bond film. Uh, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's one of the Brosnan ones, but uh, where, where yeah, you yeah, think yeah. somebody's good and then they end up yep. not being. And I, I know exactly what you're talking I about. I recall that being pulled off a lot better than. Yeah, definitely yeah. was. So. Uh, you know, and you have, and I know in, in classic Bond, uh, the classic Bond is that somebody like Necros uh, is going to be that, he's going to be a, a henchman. He's yeah. not going to be the main but I do believe Andreas Wisniewski could have been like a main oh, Bond yeah. villain yeah. if he wanted to. Absolutely. And and it's almost like you didn't know what you had there almost. Uh, like, I think if he had done Die Hard at this point, they may, maybe they would have like tried to yeah, make maybe. him the big villain. I don't know. But... Um, but that's the guy who makes it a two for me because like he does all the cool stuff yeah. in this movie. He does all the like cool villain stuff, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. But like yeah, Joe Don Baker's got yeah, it's not not well, as good as not... I mean, he, he has Joe Don Baker has all the traits of somebody who is that megalomaniacal guy. Yeah. They just don't let him do anything. No. And then and then of course Georgi is just kind of like back and forth. I don't know what to think about this dude. So anyway, no one feels that dangerous. Like it never really feels like there's these stakes. Like I guess no. that I felt another like even like you know I don't know. It's just it's a it's odd. I'm I'm with you. I'm on a two. Uh, the gadgets. Uh, so we have quite a few in this, as we already mentioned. We've got like the ghetto blaster weapon, uh, which I was yeah. sad they didn't. <laughs> which oh, that was a thing, by the way. That was in the behind the scenes, because uh, uh, Prince Charles and Princess Di were there for that shooting. Yes, uh, shooting that shooting the ghetto blaster. I'm not sure what I feel about that name these days. Uh, oh, that's a good but, point. Uh, uh but uh because they were making it for the americans too and i'm like oh that, that that didn't age well um but uh the day that they shot the so-called ghetto blaster they had they had prince charles press the button that shot the rocket uh oh, and nice. everything and then apparently there's a really famous photo and i i didn't follow a lot of the royal mm-hmm. family especially back in 1987 when i was 10 years old but uh there's a famous photo of princess Di. Uh, smashing one of those like breakable bottles mm-hmm. over Prince Charles head. And apparently Yeroen Crabbe was the one who uh, told them to do it, told her to do it. <laughs> I did not read so that. That's there, interesting. So there's a picture, uh, there's a famous picture of her smashing yeah. this bottle over Prince Charles head. And Yaroon Crabbe is sitting there laughing in the middle of it. Yeah. And I know some of the, some of the Royal family was at the premiere too. I don't remember if die and he, I don't remember if it was them or it was like, you know, somebody another princess or something i can't remember mm-hmm. but there was some of them at the premiere oh that's cool i didn't know yeah that. um there's the key fob that's the thing that he whistles yep. uh 
and it can emit stun gas. It can, I guess, cause an explosion. It can do all kinds of things. I don't, I don't know. It's like, what if Bond couldn't whistle? Like, what? You, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like that seems like a very because yeah, so yeah. that that weapon would have no use to me. <laughs> no. Yeah. And and it's and it's. I think that's a dumb way to operate a weapon too. I mean, just it just in case. I mean, a wolf whistle. Are you saying that nobody can wolf whistle <laughs> around you? Like, I, whatever. I, I guess you have to activate it first before you whistle. I don't know, but it seems really dangerous to have something like that around. Um, I thought it was cool too, which I don't remember. I guess he does use them, but the keys also, they work as lock picks. They can open anything basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the car has all kinds of shit, shoots lasers, shoots rockets. It, it's able to cut ice. <laughs> yeah. Drive with a flat tire. Yeah. I mean, it was like a ton of stuff Jeez. that they could do. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so there was all that kind of – the gadgets were like a three for me. I mean, there, there was enough stuff in here. None of it was like where I'm like, that's awesome. I, the key fob is fun, but it's real silly. I I think I think these gadgets are a lot of fun, actually. I would probably give them a four nice. because they really loaded it up uh, yeah. this time uh, with, uh, with a lot of fun stuff. And I think – I don't remember License to Kill having much because he's playing a rogue agent in that one for mm-hmm. a lot of it. But, uh, but like once it once Brosnan starts, oh, I God. think they really start yeah. ramping it up. Yep. And then the song is our last thing we got to rank. Aha's <sighs> Living Daylights. Oh man! And look, I love Take on Me, guys, <laughs> and that's the best thing I can say about this song. Um. This is not as, I would say this is not as boring as some of the ones that have come out in the 80s. And you and I know you love A View to a I Kill. I think this makes I you appreciate not. A View to a Kill more because A View to a Kill, this is definitely trying to copy A View to a Kill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this, is not, yeah this is definitely not as good as the Duran Duran. Uh, it's probably better than the previous two, like the Octopussy yeah, one. and the view, and the and for your eyes oh, only, yeah. it's probably better than both of those. But it's not a very memorable one. Like if you go through the pantheon of artists who've done Bond, you you're you're going to be hard pressed to come up with Aha probably, uh, because this song is not memorable. And even the song at the end, I guess they decided that this Aha song wasn't memorable, so they were like let's do that Pretenders yeah. or whatever. And Chrissy Hines very talented, and it's just yeah. it's not her fault. Uh, it's just yeah. a bad song. I so what were you gonna give it? Oh, this is a one. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I'm giving yeah. it a one. Um, I yeah. didn't like this at all. Like I said, it just felt like they were like, "Oh, view to a kill, Duran Duran. Let's just go get Aha to do the same thing." Um, right. And uh, I the only thing I'll say positive about it was I like I liked the way they incorporated it into the score. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like it has it has like a nice. It worked in the score, but like the opening credits were just terrible. And I, yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah. All right. So our final segment, which I don't have much to say on this, but we'll we'll just mention a few things. But our final segment is called "The Spy Who Reads Me." Reading is one of my very favorite things to do. Whoa! I'm not reading that crap. Summarize it in one word. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. How can you read this? There's no pictures. And I will say this is going to be one of the last times we probably have this segment because after this Mm -hmm. between this and casino royale i don't think anything is based on much you know other than they take parts from other novels but it but anyways uh yeah the segment's called the spy who reads me cinema sins might have taught you that the book doesn't matter but for this segment we're willing to concede it at least kind of does we are going to give you the nitty-gritty on what is similar to what you saw on the screen what is different 
and there will be plenty of what the hell was Ian Fleming smoking when he wrote this. Uh, this is pretty straightforward, though. Uh, so this is a short story. Uh, we've talked about this collection before because it is this is in uh, the short story collection called uh, Octopussy and Living Daylights. So the story is pretty simple. Bond is assigned to el eliminate a KGB assassin codenamed Trigger uh, who has been dispatched to kill him. Uh, in the area that he's at, which I can't remember exactly where he goes. I don't, maybe he's in Russia. I can't remember. But anyways, where he's at, there's an orchestra that plays every night while he's waiting for this person so he can kill them. And he's, he notices this beautiful blonde woman that, you know, plays a cello, the, which ends up being the Miriam Diabo character in the movie. And then um, he eventually finds out that she's the sniper, which is also what happens in, in living daylights. Uh, he adjusts his aim at the last moment though. And he just shoots the weapon from her hands. And that's pretty much all that happens. But he, uh, mm. so that's basically the first like 20 minutes of the movie or whatever is, is the short story. Uh, mm -hmm. it's not a bad short story though. Uh, it's actually kind of, it's well written and it's interesting. It's all pretty much from bonds like perspective. So that's kind of interesting at times. Like just, what he's thinking about, what he's doing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I would recommend the story, but it just doesn't have a lot of bearing on the movie other than like, like I said, those first like 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is. And there's nothing even about like they're trying to get a Russian defector out, all that stuff. It's simply this person they found out is maybe going to kill Bond or has maybe been assigned to kill Bond. So they want to send him after uh, her first. That's, that's kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. So there yeah. you go. That's, that's our show. Guys, <laughs> internet problems and all, we still got through it. Uh, so yeah, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we hope you will join us again next week when we will talk about License to Kill. Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, we are at GoldSpy007. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at SamLoomis13. You can email us at GoldDiamondDeath007 at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSins brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. Yes. And you know what's going straight for your heart, Chris. It's going straight Gladys for your Knight's heart. Gladys Knight's going to tell you mm -hmm. all about it. Also, love Gladys mm -hmm. Knight. I'm not making fun of Gladys Knight, by the way. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But we hope you join us for that. I, I can already tell that's going to be a fun discussion. Uh, until mm -hmm. then, keep the martinis dry and shaken, the Baccarat chew moving, and the Aston Martin fully gassed. This is Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you next mission.